بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد So continuing with our study of Arba'in al-Nawwi We are now commencing our study of Hadith 24 The Hadith of Abi Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu ta'ala anhu and this hadith, it's a long hadith um, in comparison to the rest of the hadith. So we translated it last session and today we'll go over the uh, different, yani the explanation of Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abbad. The explanation is divided into ten parts. This narration is a tremendous narration. It's hadith Qudsi. It's a hadith Qudsi. Yani it's a hadith in which hadith qudsi يعني a hadith within which the messenger says Allah said he attributes the statement to Allah he attributes a statement to Allah he says Allah said or the companion who's narrating the hadith he says the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said relaying from his lord Prophet either says, Allah said, or the narrator of the hadith says, the Prophet said, relaying from his Lord. And the hadith contains a pronoun, a first person pronoun, and that first person pronoun is in reference to Allah. So it will, the hadith, the text of the hadith will either say, I or me, or we, or our, a first person pronoun. And that first person pronoun isn't any reference to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like in this hadith, O my slave. The hadith it reads, O my slave. So that my, that pronoun there, that first person pronoun, it's in reference to Allah. And it is different to the Quran. Uh, that's a separate discussion in, the, in and of itself. Quran, it begins with Surah Al-Fatiha. It ends in uh, Surah Al-Nas. Quran, all of it is mutawatir. Whereas Hadith Qudsi, you can find of it that which is mutawatir, that which is da'if, uh, 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 that which is ahad, uh, that which is mawdu', fabricate, fabricated. And this is separate to Al-Quran. And in this Hadith Qudsi, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he makes ten nida'at, ten calls, meaning ten times he says, Oh my slave, oh my, my slave, yani, ya ibadi, ten times he says, ya ibadi, ya ibadi inni harramtu al-dhulm, oh my slaves, indeed I have made, uh, Oppression forbidden upon, my, uh, upon myself. All my slaves, all of you are misguided except those that I guide. All my slaves, all of you are naked except those that I clothe. All my slaves, all of you are uh, 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 hungry except those that I feed. All my slaves, if the first of you... To the end of the hadith, ten times Allah Jalla wa'ala, He says in this hadith Qudsi, Oh, my slave. What type of feeling? What type of feeling? 
is going to occur. The heart of the believer, when he keeps on hearing his Lord saying to him, Oh my slave, oh my slave, oh my slave. When the believer keeps on hearing a statement of his Lord, where his Lord is saying to him, Oh my slave, oh my... This is going to cause you to become... Sorry, say that again. Yeah, attention. You're, gonna, you're going to focus on what's going to be said. You're going to pay close attention to what's going to be said. You're going to incline towards what's going to be said to you. Because of how Allah is addressing you. He's calling you a slave. The term slave, to be called a slave, it's not derogatory. To be a slave, meaning a slave of Allah, it's not derogatory. It's great. To be a slave of Allah is very, very noble. It's a privilege to be called a slave of Allah. To be called a slave for Allah to address you as a slave of His, that's a privilege. Allah Jalla wa'ala, He calls His Messenger a, a slave in the Quran. So many times Allah has referred to the Messenger as a slave. Subhanallah, Asra bi abdihi. Glorified be he who took his abd, his slave, on the night journey. Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj. Allah referred to the Messenger والسلام, as a abd. Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymeen, he said in his tafsir, that this, look, Allah didn't say, Subhanallahi asra bi rasulihi. He didn't say, glorified be Allah, the one that took his messenger. On the night journey, he could have said that, and it's true, he is his messenger. But Allah used the word abd, slave. Why? Because being an abd, being a slave of Allah, and being, being addressed as a slave, being called, you are a slave, you are my slave. This is a privilege, it's an honor to be called a slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And for that reason, if you think about it, how privileged it is for Allah to say to us when He says in His book, وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ And if who asks you concerning me, وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي If who asks you about me, if my slaves asks you, ask you about me, فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ Then indeed I am close to them. It's a privilege to be called a slave. We are those creatures, the human beings, that commit mistakes, that commit sin. Allah has addressed us as his, as his slaves. If you think about how honorable and how privileged a status this is, if you think about who Allah is, if you think about who Rabbul Samawati Wal Ard is, and then how He is giving notice to you, how he is giving notice to you. He is mentioning you. If you think about it, Allah the Most High mentioned you before you ever mentioned him. Before you were born, before you came into the dunya, your name Allah had written it down, did he not? 
your name was mentioned by Allah Jalla wa'az. Not just before you mentioned him, before you even came into existence. You, your name. The day you were born. Your whole life story, everything, your biography. Allah mentioned it. Allah mentioned it. Before you ever even said Allah. Before you even said La ilaha illallah. Not there. When you think about that, that Rabbu Samawati wal Ard, Khaliqul Kaun, the creator of everything, mentioned you, mentioned me, mentioned you, mentioned us all before we uttered his name, subhanahu wa ta'ala. That, that brings to mind how great he is, subhanahu wa ta'ala, and how privileged we are for him to then address us as his ibad, as his slaves, as his servants. So in this hadith Qudsi, ten times, Allah Jalla wa'ala, he makes this nida. He makes this call by saying, Ya Ibadi. So the first part, in the first part, Shaykh Abdul Muhsin al he mentions what we mentioned previously, that the hadith Qudsi, it is that which, it is that, that hadith where the messenger either says, Allah said, or the narrator of the hadith says, Prophet said, relaying from his Lord. And in that text, in that statement of Allah, there will be a pronoun, a first person pronoun, like I, or me, or we, or our. That'll be a first person pronoun, and that first person pronoun would be in reference to Allah. Tamam, number two. Number two. This is. The explanation when Allah said, Ya ibadi, inni harramtu dhulma ala nafsi, waja'altuhu baynakum muharrama, falatadalamu. O my slaves, indeed I have made dhulm haram upon myself. I've made oppression haram upon myself. And I have made it haram between you. Therefore, do not oppress each other. Allah Jalla wa'ala, He says, at this, po- at this part, zulm, oppression, He's made it haram for Him to do. He's made it haram upon Himself to do zulm. And likewise, He's made it haram for us to make zulm towards each other, for us to oppress each other, and therefore, do not oppress one another. What is dhulm? Anybody know what dhulm is? What's the definition of dhulm? Transgression. Yeah, oppression, transgression. What does it mean? It means to put something in its incorrect place. That is what dhulm literally means. To put something in its incorrect place. That is what it literally means. Dhulm means to place something in its incorrect place. And Allah Jalla wa'ala, He has told us many a times in His book that He does not oppress. Allah does not want dhulm for His ibad. And your Lord is not an oppressor to the slave. 
And he said in his book, Inna Allaha la yadhlimun nasa shay'a. Indeed Allah, he does not oppress mankind in anything. And he said in his book, Inna Allaha la yadhlimu mithqala dharra. Allah doesn't oppress even to the weight of a dharra, the weight of a mustard seed. And he said in his book, وَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِنَ الصَّالِحَاتِ وَهُوَ مُؤْمِنِ فَلَا يَخَافُ ظُلْمًا وَلَا هَضْمًا Whoever works righteous deeds, while he is a believer, then he should fear no oppression, and neither should he fear any يعني, destruction. Meaning, he shouldn't fear that there will be a deficiency in his good deeds, and neither should he fear that there will be an extra addition of evil deeds added to his account. So Allah Jalla wa in these ayat, he negates oppression from himself, subhanahu wa ta'ala. When Allah and his messenger negate an attribute from him, when Allah says he does not do this, when Allah says he is not like this, when the Prophet says Allah does not do this, when the Prophet says Allah is not like that, then it's not just Allah and his messenger negating that attribute, but also affirming the opposite. Allah and his messenger, when they negate an attribute from Allah Jalla wa'az, it's not only the fact that they are negating, but what that implies is that they are affirming the opposite of that attribute. So for example, Allah here negates oppression from himself. He negates from oppressing. He negates the attribute of oppressing from himself. That he does not oppress. This therefore implies the affirmation of the opposite of this attribute. Which means that Allah Jalla wa'ala from his attribute is Al-Adl, justice and being fair. When Allah says that he, he does not oppress, then this means that he is fair and is just subhanahu wa ta'ala. As for the oppression that occurs between human beings, then that is an attribute to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the action of the slave. When people oppress, when people do harm, that is their action for which they're going to be accountable for. But as for Allah Jalla wa'ala, then from his actions is that he does not, does not oppress. Number three. Qawluhu ya ibadi, kullukum dalun illa man hadaytuhu, fastahduni ahdikum. The statement of Allah in this hadith Qudsi, Oh my slave, all of you are dal, all of you are misguided. Except for those that I have guided, therefore seek guidance from me and I shall guide you. Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentions that some people, uh, they ask and they, 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 they pose the question as to whether or not this contradicts other narrations. Narrations which speak about how the human being has been made as a Hanif, 
as a Muslim that we're born upon fitrah. Like the hadith, uh, hadith Qudsi, another hadith Qudsi, the hadith of uh, uh, Iyad ibn Himar, who said that the, that the Messenger alayhi said, خَلَقْتُ ibadi hunafa." Allah said, I created my slaves as hunafa, as monotheists. In another narration, I created my slaves, Muslimin, as Muslims. So does this hadith contradict, contradict the hadith that we're studying here? Mm, question. Does this hadith here where Allah Jalla wa ala, he says that he created us as Muslims, he created us as monotheists. And then we have a narration here in this hadith Qudsi from Arba'in Nawi where Allah Jalla wa ala said, all of you are misguided. Except for those that are guided, therefore seek guidance from me. How do you reconcile between these two narrations? Mm. Yeah. You weren't originally upon the right Oh, you were. There you go. Yeah. You were originally upon the right path? Or another answer is that that hadith and those are hadith that speak about Allah having created us as monotheists, Allah having created us as Muslims, Allah having created us upon the fitrah, meaning that we were created ready to accept Islam. We were created predisposed towards Islam. We were created ready such that when Islam comes to us, we will accept it without any problem. We were made predisposed, pre uh, inclined towards Islam. But then, as the brother mentioned, but then, as it is mentioned in the hadith, then it's his parents that change him. It's his parents that make him a Jew or a Christian or a fire worshipper. So we were created, pre-prepared to become Muslim. We were created, pre-prepared to embrace Islam. But then, as far as the details of Islam are concerned, were you born knowing how to pray five times a day? Were you born knowing how to pay zakah? Were you born knowing how to uh, perform umrah? So the details of Islam, were you guided to it when you were born? Or were you unaware of it? When you were born, did you know the details? Were you guided to it or not? Not guided to it. And therefore, bearing that in mind, we were misguided. We were bal. We were misguided as far as the details of the religion is concerned. For that reason, Allah Jalla wa Ala, He said about His, uh, his Messenger, وَوَجَدَكَ ضَالًا فَهَدَى Allah found you, O Muhammad, ضَال فَهَدَى He found you, O Muhammad, ضَال And then guided you. What does ضَال mean here? يعني unaware. Not having the knowledge, not having the knowledge about the details of the guidance. Predisposed to guidance, yes. You have within you an inclination towards Tawheed, an inclination towards Islam. But the actual guidance to Islam, the religion of Islam and the details of Islam, that is something that you did not have up until Allah guided you to it. So all of us are misguided. Even at the point of birth, even as we are growing up as infants, 
All of us are misguided and then Allah guides us. Meaning then Allah guides us to the details of Islam, to the details of the religion and to acting upon it. Likewise, Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he says, وَفِي هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ الْأَمْرُ بِسُوَالِ اللَّهِ الْهِدَايَةِ وَهِيَ تَشْمَلُ الْهِدَايَةِ الدَّالَةِ وَالْإِرْشَادِ وَهِدَايَةِ التَّوْفِيقِ وَالْتَسْدِيدِ The fact that Allah Jalla wa Ala in this narration, He says all of us are misguided, meaning all of us are unaware. Either we are born and raised in a family that is upon misguidance, Misguidance either being far from the sunnah, like perhaps many of us here, at one time we had no knowledge of the sunnah, perhaps many of us here at one time never knew about those matters of the sunnah that we came to know, know about later on in life, or perhaps we were misguided, brought up upon misguidance, meaning upon kufr, not brought up upon Islam, not knowing who Muhammad is. Not knowing what the Quran is, and so on and so forth. And then Allah guided us. This hadith here, when, the, when Allah is saying all of us are misguided in all of its various forms, when we know this, that all of us are misguided, misguided except those whom Allah guides, this therefore should encourage us to do what? To seek guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To beg and implore him for guidance. Did the Messenger alayhi salatu ever fall short in that regard? Did he ever say, well, I'm, I'm the prophet of Islam and I'm the best of creation? So there's no point me having to pray to Allah jalla wa'az for guidance. No. The Messenger alayhi salatu he would say frequently, Ya muqallib al-qulub thabbit qalbi ala deenik. O you who changes the heart, make my heart firm upon your deen. The Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, when he would leave his house, he would supplicate to Allah. From the things that he would supplicate to Allah jalla wa'az for, is that, oh Allah, I seek refuge in you. From being misguided and from misguiding others. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam exits the house and he says, oh Allah, I seek refuge in you. An adal aw udil. From, be, from being misguided and from misguiding others. So when a person knows that, then he should not become complacent. It's not a small issue. It's not a small issue. A person should accustom, him, accustom himself to begging Allah for guidance. Not accustoming your tongue or not solely accustoming your tongue for guidance or for begging of guidance. That's easy. You can easily say, Oh Allah, guide me. You're that busy drinking your tea or coffee. Oh Allah, guide me. Oh Allah, guide me. Oh may Allah, guide us. Oh may Allah, guide me. But you don't really think about it. You have, you have no... So it's like, you've not, it's like you've not actually said it. It was just an aada. It's just a habit. Allah, hadina. Allah, hadina. May Allah, guide us. May Allah, guide us. Sometimes it falls off the tongues of people. Sometimes it falls off our tongues. As an aada, as a habit. May Allah guide us. Allah guide us. Allah guide us. Yeah. So how things. Yani we don't think about what we are, what we are saying. A person asks guidance from Allah Jalla wa'az just like Rasulullah would. 
just like the Sahaba would. Meaning their heart and their tongue would be together in the supplication. Oh Allah, guide me, begging and beseeching him from their heart before their tongue. This hadith here, it encourages us and it uh, 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 highlights to us the great importance of begging and beseeching and imploring Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for guidance, not just with our tongue, but with our tongue and our heart combined. Otherwise, all of us are misguided. None of us can be guided except by Allah Jalla wa'as facilitating for us to be guided. Allah putting us in the right place at the right time, speaking to the right people and being in the right frame of mind when that person gave da'wah to us. If you think about it, I'm presuming most of us at one time were not religious. There was a time that we might have been practicing, as they say, but maybe not upon talab al-ilm, not studying, and perhaps some of us at one time weren't praying at all, and perhaps some of us at one time weren't even Muslim. So now, if you think about that time, when you became Muslim, if you think about that time, when you started to pray, if you think about that time, when you started to become Mutadayyin, religious. If you think about that time when you started to become a talib al-ilm and studying and memorizing. If you think about it, wasn't, wasn't it, wasn't it the case that you were, think about your own personal situation, that you were at the right place, at the right time, and the right person was speaking to you. And your mind at that time, you were in that state, at that period of your life where your mind was most receptive to da'wah. If you think about it, if we start to share our stories, how do you start becoming, uh, how do you start praying? Huh? How did you become Muslim? If you think about it, bizarre how those, those circumstances happened, which resulted you in being, being guided. So, if, so, so what's the point behind that? What's the point about thinking about that? The point is, is that your guidance is in Allah's hands. If you think about your own life, your own life, and you having been guided to sunnah, you having been guided to all of that, all of that was purely in the hands of Allah. Because maybe if that same incident, which resulted in you becoming practicing, happened a year earlier, or perhaps it happened in a different town. Or if the circumstances had been different, perhaps you would never have thought about Islam. Perhaps you would never have thought, thought about becoming a mutadayyin person, a religious person. And you would have ended up like the rest of the, of the people. So that shows to you, that shows to you that guidance in Allah Jalla wa'ala's hands. Therefore you have to beg and beseech Him. Okay. So then why do we say اِهْدِنَ الصِّرَاطِ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ 17 times a day We're already Muslim You're Muslim now Why do you think اِهْدِنَ الصِّرَاطِ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ Guide us to the straight path الْأَحْسَنْ Allah's guided us to the straight path He's shown us a straight path The straight path has been presented to us We're Muslim 
But now to stay upon it. To stay upon it. Because people, they leave the straight path as well. So to stay upon it. And also to increase upon the Huda. To increase upon the guidance of that straight path. Islam is Huda. Islam is guidance. Person, he says, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Wa ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. He's Muslim. He's been guided. But within Islam, to be guided to the Sunnah of Allah's Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, away from bid'ah, that's another guidance. So guidance to Islam, and then within Islam, to be guided to the Sunnah, away from bid'ah. You're upon Islam. You're upon Sunnah. To be guided towards talab al-ilm, seeking knowledge, studying the deen of Islam, acting upon it. That's guidance upon guidance upon guidance. And then for a person to increase in his knowledge, to further his knowledge, guidance upon guidance upon guidance. So therefore, in reality, you're always in need of the guidance to astirat al-mustaqeem. That su'al, that request that you pose to Allah Jalla wa'az, 17 times a day, you are definitely in need of it. Because you need guidance, guidance to Islam, guidance to the Sunnah, guidance to seeking knowledge, and guidance to knowledge upon knowledge upon knowledge, increasing in knowledge, furthering your knowledge. Tamam, that was part number three. Part number four. This is concerning the statement of Allah when he said in this hadith, Qudsi, Kullukum ja'i' إِلَّا مَنْ أَتْعَمْتُهُ فَاسْتَطْعِمُونِ أُتْعِمْكُمْ يَا عِبَادِي كُلُّكُمْ عَارٍ إِلَّا مَنْ كَسَوْتُهُ فَاسْتَكْسُونِ أَكْسُكُمْ O my slaves, all of you are hungry except for those whom I have fed. Therefore seek food from me and I shall feed you. O my slaves, all of you are naked except those whom I have clothed. Therefore seek clothing from me and I shall clothe you. So Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad he says briefly concerning this. في هاتين الجملتين بيان شدة افتقار العباد إلى ربهم وحاجتهم إليه في تحصيل أرزاقهم وكسوتهم وأن عليهم أن يسألوه سبحانه وتعالى طعامهم وكسوتهم. So in these two statements is a clarification of the severe need that the slaves have of their Lord and their great need of uh, the great need that they have of Him in providing for them their sustenance, their food and their drink, providing for them their clothing. So when you realize how much in need you are of Allah to provide you with your food provide you with your clothing, then that will result in you putting your hands towards the heavens and beseeching him subhanahu wa ta'ala for your clothing, for your food, for your drink. Regardless of how small it may be. The scholars mentioned, don't look at how insignificant the supplication may be. You break a shoelace. Ya Allah, help me replace the shoelace. Nothing, regardless of what it may be, is too small for Allah Jalla No request is insignificant before the eyes of Allah Jalla Rather, He loves it when you ask Him. 
And if Allah wanted, He could withhold all types of food, all type of drink, all type of clothing from you. All Allah has to do is make the rain turn salty. If the rain turns salty, then the crops that require the rainwater to grow will not grow anymore. And therefore, the animals won't be able to feed off them. And therefore, we'll have no crops, we'll have no animals, we'll have no food. So just the fact that Allah is able to send down this pure rain, this rain that nourishes the uh, crops and the plants, all of this shows how much in need we are of Allah for the provision of our food and for the provision of our clothing. Number five, and we will conclude with number five today. Allah he says in this hadith Qudsi, Ya ibadi, إِنَّكُمْ تُخْطِئُونَ بِالْلَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارِ وَأَنَا أَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ جَمِيعًا فَاسْتَغْفِرُونِي أَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ O my slaves, indeed you commit mistakes night and day, meaning you sin night and day. And I forgive all sins, therefore seek forgiveness from me, and I shall forgive you. In this narration here, in this narration, Allah has made it mandatory upon us, compulsory upon us, to ask Him to forgive us for our sins. These, these, these uh, nida'at and these calls that Allah makes, makes in this hadith Qudsi, they are azim, when you think about it. They are azim, they are great and they are, they are mighty. And that nothing, Nothing, regardless of how big it is, how big and tremendous it may be, nothing is too big for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do for you. Regardless of how big a thing may be, it is not big for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to do for you. And likewise, just like regardless of how big a thing may be, it is not impossible for Allah to not forgive you and in a similar fashion, regardless of how big a sin that you may have done is, it is not too big for Allah to forgive you. Regardless of how big a thing is, it is not too big for you not to ask Allah. And regardless of how big a sin that you may have committed is, it is not too big for Allah to forgive you person may ask, why then? Why, why has Allah created us such, such that we sin? Why is it that He's created us such that, we, such that we sin if He's going to forgive us anyhow? Ibn al-Qayyim ta'ala, he has some fantastic statements on, on this matter. He speaks about the wisdom of Allah taking Adam السلام, out of paradise and placing him upon the earth even though inevitably Adam السلام, is going to go to paradise. So why did he take him out of paradise, put him on earth and his offspring upon earth if it's the case that they're going to go to paradise? And then he uh, 
elaborates upon this point extensively. But one point he mentions, which is related to this bit. Why has Allah created us such that we sin? Allah has names. And those names, they aren't just names for the sake of it without any meaning. Like, for example, a person might be called Ali, high, noble, but he might be despicable. A person might be called another name, which might mean praiseworthy, but he is not praiseworthy, and so on and so, on, so, on and so forth. A person might be called Qawi, strong. He's not Qawi, though, he's weak. But Allah, Jalla wa ala, his, his names are A'lam and they're Awsaf. They are proper nouns, they are names of him. But they are descriptions of him as well. So for example, his name is Ar-Rahim, the one who grants others mercy. He delivers his mercy upon others. He grants others his mercy. And that carries the attributes of him being merciful. And from his names is Al-Ghafoor, Al-Ghaffar, Al-Tawwab, the one who forgives. The one who is constantly forgiving. The one who accepts the repentance. And paradise is not an abode for sin. Paradise is not an abode for sin. So Ibn Al-Qayyim, he says that because that name of Allah, these names of Allah, Al-Ghafoor, Al-Ghafar, Al-Tawwab, they have effects. They have effects. If he is forgiving, and there's going to be people that he forgives. And because paradise is not a place to commit sin, then Allah sent Adam السلام, to the earth and created him such that he will commit a sin. As a result of which he can then ask Allah to forgive him. And thus, the effect of Allah's name, Al-Ghafoor, Al-Ghaffar, Al-Tawab, takes effect. And thus Allah Jalla wa'ala forgives. Thus Allah Jalla wa'az, He accepts the repentance. Thus Allah Jalla wa'az, He pardons, and so on and so forth. Allah is eternally Al-Ghafoor. Eternally Al-Ghafoor, Al-Ghaffar, Al-Tawwab. The effects of that occur when there are people who actually commit a sin. When there is a creation who actually commit a crime, and then they ask Allah Jalla wa'az, to accept their repentance, and then Allah Jalla wa'as, He accepts their repentance. Why? Why has Allah Jalla wa'ala made us such that we commit sin, and then He forgives? Because He Jalla wa'as loves to forgive. In fact, the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, He mentioned that if a nation, if a people existed that didn't commit a sin, and the nature of the son of Adam is that they do commit sin. But hypothetically speaking, if there was a people, if there was a nation that did not sin, Allah would do away with that nation, wipe away that nation, bring about another nation, another people who do sin, who do commit mistakes, who do commit crime against him. And then they will ask Allah to, for, to forgive them. Then they will ask Allah to accept their repentance and then Allah will forgive them. Why? Because Allah loves the action of him forgiving. Allah loves the action of him accepting other people repentance. 
So that is the wisdom behind the slaves of Allah Jalla wa'az, the sons of Adam, being a people who commit sins night and day. Because of the fact that Allah Jalla wa'ala, from his name is Ghafoor, from his name is Ghaffar, from his name is Tawwab, the forgiver, the one who accepts repentance, and he loves to do it. He loves to forgive, unless he's placed within us an element that inclines towards sin and that does sin, so that we may turn to him in repentance. Tamam, what we'll do is we will conclude at this point. We'll conclude at part number five. And then inshallah ta'ala will continue next week with part number six to part number ten, completing the hadith inshallah ta'ala next week. So unless anything needs to be corrected or clarified or any questions need to be answered, then... Perhaps that, that can enter into it as well. From that which uh, I heard from the Mashaykh, that they mentioned Al-Adl. But perhaps Hikmah as well. Yani, linguistically, yes. Linguistically, yes. Hikmah would be the opposite of Zulm, uh, linguistically. Because Hikmah, the definition of it, is the opposite of the definition of Zulm. To place something in its correct place. But as far as this context is concerned here, in terms of dhulm, oppression against people, then uh, the opposite of it is adal. But in terms of the linguistic definition of a dhulm, then yes, the opposite of it is hikmah. Okay? So the linguistic definition of dhulm, the opposite of it is, is, is hikmah. But as far as in this particular context, the connotation that the word dhulm carries in this hadith, then it is oppression, doing wrong to each other, harming others. And that, its opposite is, no doubt, al-adl fa'ala. No, because the, the context of the hadith is that a people that don't sin, Allah would destroy, Allah would you know, wipe them away in order to bring about a people that will just sin, no. It mentions that will sin and then will ask Allah Jalla wa'az, repentance so it's not the fact that Allah is pleased with people to sin but what he's pleased with is the state that they are in after they become remorseful about the sin because at the end of the day repentance it has its conditions and from them is remorse and um, and azam not to do it again so that just shows you know Adam of uh, lack of sincerity and I'm can't you say that again, sir? The definition of insaf. Or a'lam and awsaf. A'lam, proper nouns. Like Naim, Naim, Ali, Yunus, Bolton. Okay? And a'lam, proper nouns. Nouns of specific things. Specific people. Right? Specific places, specific, okay? So, A'lam. So, Allah's A'lam, He has A'lam, His names, basically His names. Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Allah, these are His A'lam. Awsaf means descriptions and characteristics, attributes. Like Rahma, like, um, uh, you know, Ghadab, anger, and so on and so forth. Okay? So, Allah's names, they're not just names. They are names 
And they also tell us about Allah. They tell us about his characteristics. They tell us about his attributes. So when he says that he's merciful, it's not just a title. It's a name of his that's telling us that he has the attribute of mercy. You with me? Okay? So basically what he's trying to say is that I've been forced. What he's trying to say is I've been forced. So um, you can just give him an easy example. You could say something like, uh, you're speaking to me right now. Do you actually believe that you're being forced to speak to me right now? Are you with me, yeah? You're being for- obviously, you know that you're not being forced. That there is in reference to the fact that the entity behind this universe has absolute all-encompassing knowledge. Knowledge of the past, knowledge of the present, knowledge of the future. In fact, if that person claims to be someone of reason, then if you, if you really you know, start hitting the nail on the head with him and start putting them in a corner as far as intellectual dialogue is concerned, you have to admit that the entity behind this universe has to have the knowledge of past, present and future. Otherwise it can't operate with such precision. Are you with me? He's destined, but what that person is referring to is being forced. Allah has granted all of us a free will. And that person, he can clearly see that that free will is being exercised. What would have been oppression, what would have been oppression, is if Allah, because he knew who's going to enter into paradise and who's going to enter into hellfire, would have placed people in the fire of hell, placed people in the realm of punishment, without giving, the, giving them the opportunity to earn paradise or to do those acts that would lead them to the fire of hell. Are you with me, yeah? That would have been oppression. Because Allah says, Allah, I already knew that this person is going to go to the hellfire. But Allah put this person in an abode where he has a limited free will, a free will that is under the supreme will of Allah because there are so many things that are outside of our will. Right? For example, if Allah wanted some of us not to come here today, could have, could have caused that not to happen. He could have prevented us from coming here. A car crash, something like this. You know, tire popping or something like this. So many other factors that are outside of our ability. But we do have a limited free will that we all exercise every single second of our life. Are you with me, yeah? So therefore, what would have been oppression is if Allah hadn't even given us this, this, this free will of ours. And if He would have just put us in the fire of hell without putting us in a realm where we can exercise this free will, doing those actions which lead a person to the fire of hell. Are you with me, yeah? But what the person is saying is, essentially what the person is saying is that I'm being forced to do so, and you can clearly say to him that you, and the way that you live life, clearly, clearly shows that you are not being forced to do so, because you're not forced, you know that you are not being forced in the, in the decisions that you make in life. Right? You want to go to London, for example, and you're going to choose the path that is safe. You're not going to choose the road and the uh, route to London that may have uh, you know, certain dangers on the route and certain you know, dangers on the route and so on and so forth. So clearly a person's day-to-day life demonstrates that uh, he is exercising a form of free will. But what he's essentially trying to say is that I don't understand Allah. I don't understand his act. I don't understand how he does it. Well, that's a separate question. You being able to comprehend Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is outside of human ability. You can't comprehend the creator of the heavens and the earth. 
Are you with me? You can't fully encompass him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can recognize certain actions of his. You can recognize the fact that he uh, has knowledge. The fact that human life exists. And he has everything by which it can exist and subsist. And that shows that he has knowledge. Our DNA is a proof of his knowledge. So you can see that he has uh, the attribute of, of generosity. The fact that we have an ample amount of everything that we need to physically survive. Oxygen and food and drink and uh, partners for the opposite gender. So we can, clearly, we can clearly infer from basic observation of this universe certain attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But as for being able to encompass, encompass him, that is something that is beyond human capacity. And Allah hasn't created us such for us to be able to uh, encompass him. He's only created us such that we humble ourselves before him, recognize that we're his creatures, recognize that all we have to do is be humble in front of him, and thus he'll enter, enter us into his paradise. Are you with me? Yeah, come on. Shut up. <laughs> Anything else? Allah Ta'ala A'lam wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.